0: Um, real quick, one, one other detail. Uh, you'll see this in our bulletin probably next week, but I want you to mark your calendars. We have a whole raft of people that are becoming members of our church and that are also getting baptized in our church. Uh, about 15 people that are gonna be getting baptized on July 30th and August 6th. So we're doing it on two different Sundays because we've just got a lot and we want to hear all their stories. So mark your calendars, folks. July 30th and August 6th, we're going to be having baptisms. They'll be here on the property. We're still figuring out details, um, but that's uh, something you can look forward to. And then also, um, we have some people who have been baptized as adults already at other places, uh, but they'd like to become members of our church. And so on July 9th and 16th, we're going to be doing that. So for a long uh, stretch of weeks there in July and into August, we're going to be having a great time hearing people tell us about how they came to believe in Jesus and why they've given their life to him. So that's some stuff that's coming up. You'll remember the past few weeks, I've been talking about how God speaks to us. Do you remember in early May, the youth reminded us how God spoke to Jonah so that Jonah knew what to do, even if he didn't want to do what God told him to do. Last week, we studied God's words to Abraham and the faith of Abraham and Isaac to believe in God was on display. We also heard from Melanie, who shared a testimony of God speaking to her through her desire to be a mother and the challenges of infertility that we both faced. I heard from a number of you this week in conversations and emails about your own experiences with God, the times that you've heard from God or the times that you wanted to hear from God but you didn't hear the way that you wanted. Some of you have heard very specific, particular things from God that have carried you for a long time, but some of you are struggling with the apparent silence of God. All of us, it seems, have struggled with that at one time or another. But I know there are many in the room right now who are saying, I just wish God would speak, or, or, or I wish God would speak differently. Today, I hope to encourage you who feel that God has been silent. Because even though it may seem like there is silence in your life on your issue right now, it doesn't mean that nothing is being said. So for our scripture today, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms is right just about in the middle of your Bible. It's, it's kind of halfway through if you look at the number of pages that are there. And we're going to look at Psalm 19. And over the next couple of weeks here in June and July, we're going to be running through the Psalms and, and picking out uh, different ones to examine. Today we're on Psalm 19. This one begins this way, it says, for the director of music, a psalm of David. So David, King David, wrote this psalm. That means that it was written about 3,000 years ago because David was the king of Israel about 1,000 years before Christ. And so we've got this song. We don't know what the music sounds like. We don't have any notes. We don't have any idea how that would have fit or what it would have sounded like, but we have the lyrics And they start this way. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now, remember, remember, church, nature isn't perfect right now. And it wasn't perfect in the time of David either. There's a lot of stuff that has happened to what we might call nature. There's a lot of stuff, and of course, we hear about this all the time now with, with ecologists and with the whole green movement and all that stuff. We hear about pollution and, and we hear about chemicals, and, and that's important stuff to be thinking about. But even back in the time of David, before widespread worldwide pollution and corruption of the planet, still our earth is under a curse. Do you remember? Do you remember what it says in Genesis 3? Just the third chapter of the Bible. It says that as a result of the sin of Adam, nature is under a curse. Genesis 3, specifically in verse 17, God spoke to Adam and he said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. Any of you try to grow a garden? Any of you ever try to farm? I know some of you have it figured out a lot more than others, but is it easy? Do you just kind of toss it out there and then let it roll in? No, it's work, right? There's, we, we see the results of this curse. Remember, just because something is natural doesn't mean it's good. This is some of the language that we fall into in our world these days, right? Well, well this is the natural way. Well, mosquitoes and poison ivy and the bubonic plague are natural, too. It doesn't mean they're good. So, so natural isn't just automatically great. We see this in the way people talk about each other and the way they talk about themselves. Well, I was, I was born like this, and so therefore I have to act like this. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. There are, there are people who are born all kinds of different ways. That doesn't mean that we all get to act out the way that we are born. God gives us our Bible and gives us instruction, and we'll see more in Psalm 19, written 3,000 years ago. God gives us these precepts and these statutes so that we can live according to God's call, not according to our birth. Remember, not all things are natural. Not all of nature is right now absolutely blessed. It is under a curse, and we too, in our bodies, in our psychology, in our mental and emotional and physical health, we are dealing with the consequences of the fall too, so we are not born just perfect. We are not born exactly as we should be. God doesn't make mistakes, but our world is a rough, cursed place. So we end up at all kinds of places. We make no excuses, but we do see what David says in Psalm 19:1: the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In Romans eight, John read it for us this morning. In Romans 8, it says that creation is currently in bondage to decay, and that it waits in eager expectation for the day when, as Revelation 22, 3 says, when there will be no more curse and God will make all things new. So we wait, and creation waits for all things to be right. But even now, creation declares the glory of God, even in its fallen state. Did the sky get your attention at all this week? Did it change any of your plans? Move a golf tournament, change field day, chase you inside? According to the Columbus Dispatch, that great news outlet, 400 miles to our west, as of Thursday, there were nearly 2,300 fires in nine of Canada's 13 provinces and territories that have destroyed, as of Thursday, approximately 9.5 million acres of forest. The fires have forced more than 100,000 people from their homes. Now, we didn't deal with any of that drama, did we? But, but... We saw the smoke in the sky, did you smell it? You remember smelling it on Wednesday? From these fires hundreds of miles away, some of them thousands of miles away? All I kept thinking was that this is one more sign that there is a designer behind this world. Again, all things are not perfect, but you can see that these weather patterns, which we can't control, make a difference in our world. We could see how huge interrelated worldwide systems affect each other and affect us. Can you see how we're all connected even when we wish that we weren't? Did the fires remind anyone how helpless we are? I mean, what could be done really? For us, it was a small annoyance. But imagine if you lived on the front lines of those fires. What can be done Aren't there people trying to put out those fires? Aren't there rules and laws and and all kinds of conservation techniques trying to prevent these fires? Again, the Columbus Dispatch says, Canada has deployed some of its armed forces to highly affected areas like Alberta and Quebec and approximately 1,000 firefighters from the United States, South Africa, and other countries have pitched in to lend aid? How many people are specifically employed to fight and prevent fires? How much money is spent on preservation, prevention, and suppression? How much control do we really have? Isn't that a sign that there is something going on bigger than us? I don't fly much. Most of my flights have been into Denver. So whenever I fly there, I'm blown away by the way the fields and crops look when the plane is making its final approach. Have you ever been there or seen this? It's like a perfect, a perfect grid of, of square roads and fields. Coming down on that plain just east of the Rockies, seeing the square grid and then the round green fields on that grid that are fed by irrigation, people can do amazing things. It's incredible the effect that we can have, but there is a limit. We can't affect the weather much. David says the skies proclaim the work of God's hands. I wonder if any of us realize this week that we need more than just ourselves. Psalm 19, verse two. Take courage, folks. We won't be here all day. But it says in Psalm 19, two, the day after day, the skies pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. This is an ongoing witness. It's not a once and done kind of a thing that just happened in the time of David for a few people to see. No, God is communicating with the world consistently. It says in verse three of Psalm 19 that the skies, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, which sounds like a contradiction to verse two, right? Which is it? They pour forth speech or they have no speech? Well, David is painting a picture here in these song lyrics, in this poem. He's painting a picture of speech without words. Any of you ever play a sport with somebody for a long time? You get to know them maybe a pitcher and a catcher, or two people that played, played softball together, maybe played football or soccer together. You ever have just like a look and you knew what they were going to do? That's speech without words, right? You ever have that kind of connection with your friends? You just, you know what they're going to say next. You know how they're going to respond. Do you ever see that in your lover's eyes? Do you know what Keith Whitney was singing about when he said, you say it best when you say nothing at all? about your baby that doesn't know how to talk yet? Is there communication there? Sure there is. God is communicating with us silently. Nature speaks to us with no speech. No sound is heard, but look at verse four. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. David gets more specific here. He's been talking about how nature, how the heavens and the skies declare the glory of God and and proclaim the work of his hands. But now he gets specific. He says, in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes the circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Of course, 3,000 years ago, David and and all of those on the earth would have had this picture of the sun moving through the sky. We know now that we are moving around the sun, but what does it look like? God has pitched a tent for this sun, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. This is like a new husband on the first morning of the honeymoon, ready to go. Isn't that the picture? It's like a champion, it's like, I I love watching, I love watching the Olympic sprints. The track and field, especially when Usain Bolt was really on the top of his game. Do you remember Usain Bolt? He's retired just recently. But getting ready for the 100 yard or the 200 yard race, I guess it's meters these days. These guys just can't wait. These guys just can't wait. Let me run. Let me at it. Let me go. David says, that's what the sun is like. And simply by the presence of God's creation all around the world, the glory and the work of God is seen and can be known because God is communicating universally, consistently, silently, universally. God's glory can be seen in nature. So 3,000 years ago, David wrote about the testimony of nature in these verses of Psalm 19. And I wonder, is it any different today? It's still going, right? All right, look at a person beside you, somebody you know, or maybe somebody you don't know. If you don't know them, tell them your name. But as you look at them and after they know your name, tell them one way that you have seen God's glory in nature. Just go ahead real quick. One way that you have seen God's glory in nature, that nature pointed you to an awareness of God. Go ahead. It's still going, right? David, again, David wrote 3,000 years ago about how the heavens and the skies and and the sun, and, and don't we still see it? Haven't you seen this glimpse? Have you ever had that time where you stood there in front of that that tree or that mountain or that canyon and you just were almost breathless? (gasps) Wow. Do you remember? This is the glory of God on full display, silently but consistently and universally around the world. How many of you have a place that you would love to go far across the seas because you saw a calendar or you saw a picture or you heard somebody talk about, oh, you just got to see it? People, how much money is spent to fly and to sail and to travel to see these, these natural things that we didn't build and that we can't create? What is it that stirs us up to want to see this? Why do I like to take road trips? Let me just go see it. It does something to us, doesn't it? You who love being out in the woods. You who will sit in a tree waiting for the deer. Are are you just, is it only the deer? No, there's something about being out there, isn't there? That stirs you up. This is nature revealing to us the glory of God. Now, in all of this, in all of this, we can fall into a trap. We might be tempted. We might be tempted to begin to worship nature instead of just appreciating it. That happens all the time, doesn't it? We begin to worship the creation instead of the creator. But that's really just a human spin on God's work, the purpose of nature's witness is to bring glory to God. John read from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 this morning. Let me read those three verses again, but I'm gonna read them backward. I'm gonna read verse 20, then 19, and then verse 18. Because Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans a 1,000 years after David, writing to the people in Rome, he was building an argument. I think Psalm 19 and Romans 1 both can make a lot of sense to us if we look at it this way. Look at verse 20 of Romans chapter 1. Paul says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Right? His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Look at verse 19. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Sometimes we are tempted to say, why are such bad things happening to that person? They seem so good. And yet And yet what the scripture tells us is that every person has had an opportunity to witness God's goodness because every person is here walking in the creation that God has given us. And so if we reject God's goodness, even just by the witness of creation, God knows enough to be able to know what to do with us. When the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against godlessness and wickedness of people, we don't have to get too worked up about, well, did they hear about Jesus or not? No, creation is enough to show people that the Lord indeed is a reality. We simply fill in the blanks when we tell them about Jesus and salvation in the Particulars. So what are we seeing in our Bibles this morning? What do we find in Psalm 19 and in Romans chapter one? We see that God is consistently, silently, universally working to draw people's attention to himself, even if many actively and intentionally reject him because God loves us. The Bible says that God wants a relationship with all of us and he knows that we need him. All right, let's look at the rest of Psalm 19. David shifts gears here. The first six verses are kind of one style. and these next set of verses, you're going to see there's a little bit of a difference, but it's all connected. It's all tied together. David, when he was writing, remember, he only had the first eight books of what is in our Bibles today. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He had that work from Moses. And then David was aware of Joshua Judges, and he was aware of Ruth. She was his ancestor. A lot of what happens in our Bibles is written by David or followed up after him. But in verse 7 of Psalm 19, David shifts gears. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. How many of you think of law as refreshing? David did. David says it's refreshing because the law helps us to know how to live. We don't have to be worked up about whether something is right or wrong. We can simply see it. We can read our scriptures. We can read our Bibles. We can consult the road map. I know, okay, what is the right way to live? What's the right decision? What's the best way to go? What is wisdom? David continues on The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. A statute is just a written law. You want to avoid being simple? Simple living is fine, but don't ever be simple minded. Read your Bible. Just like nature points to God, the scriptures point to life. This is why David says the law is refreshing. The statutes make us wise. Verse 8 of Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. A precept is just a general rule that guides behavior and thought. The scripture is full of these. God shows us how to live. And when we, when we live with the Lord, joy fills our hearts. The rest of verse eight, David says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. That's an interesting phrase. Isn't it light to the eyes? But have you seen people with dark eyes? we have seen this, right? Just look at them and say, oh, are, are you okay? God's commands, laws, statutes, precepts, they're not wearisome. In them are blessings. They are signposts to life. Creation speaks of God's glory. Scripture shows us how to live gloriously. Going on, David wrote in, wrote in Psalm nineteen nine that the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Fear the Lord, this strips away everything else. This cancels out fear of anything else. This, when we fear the Lord, that means we put him above all. We honor him above all. That means that we are aware that he is powerful above all. And so we take heed to his law, precepts, statutes. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own error? Forgive my hidden faults. David now, the king, the one who was made after God's own heart, he says, God, your decrees are so good, your declarations are so good, your law is so good, but God, I know that I have not been good. David says to God, forgive my hidden faults. These could be faults that that he has hidden from everybody else, the things that he's done in secret. And how many of us need to say the same thing? God, forgive me of my secret sins. But also some of the faults that, that maybe have happened that he's forgotten about that have been hidden from his memory or hidden from his mind. He says, God, God, forgive me. Verse 13 of Psalm 19, keep your servant, he's talking about himself, keep me also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. In other words, help me not to make choices that are going to lead me into further sin. Errors, hidden faults, willful sins, that kind of covers the gamut, doesn't it? David is crying out to God who is glorious. David is crying out to God who has given a statutes, precepts, decrees, and the law. David is crying out, Because he wants to live well and he knows that God loves us enough that God wants us to live well too. David simply says help because he knows that God took the time to show humanity all the things that we needed to see. David, even just in the first eight books of the Bible, could see that God was reaching out, speaking to us, showing us how to live so that we could live well. David says, keep me from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And then you've heard these words already today. John closes prayer with these and David closed his psalm with these. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When you redeem something, it means that you're receiving something in exchange for payment. Do you know that God paid for you? Do you know that God has purchased you? Jesus, the son of God, gave his life, gave his blood for us to pay for our sins. Now, Jesus didn't live until a thousand years after David who wrote this psalm. David says, God, Nature testifies to your glory and scripture tells of your truth so I'm yours you've paid for me God I'm yours you own me and I'm glad to be your servant Church today we know more of the story than what David did we know about Jesus we know how he died on the cross we know how he gave his life for us so that so that we could receive life even though we deserve death Jesus died on the cross the perfect sacrifice taking all the penalty for our sin, taking on all that death and all that pain so that when we believe in him, we can receive from him. Instead of death, we can receive life because he's paid for it. He's redeemed us. He has set us free. This is the blessing of Jesus Christ. This is what David is pointing to in Psalm 19. This is what Paul is testifying to in Romans chapter one, and this is what we live by in 2023. When we have a chance... As a family, our favorite vacations have been road trips. I told you and I told the kids about our trip a couple years ago in Texas where we got the pickle. Did you try the pickle yet? Is it any good? Not yet? Saving that one for lunch? Nah, good idea, boys. Good idea. <laughs> we like to go see nature. We, we, we love just getting out um, every once in a while on a sabbatical. We'll get kind of an extended period of time. We've seen Yellowstone and Yosemite, some of those national parks. You guys have been there, many of you. I love to see those national parks and those landmarks, but on a road trip, we don't just see the works of God. We also see the work of humanity, crazy things like pickles at gas stations. I guess I'm easily amused. We were in, we were in Montgomery, Alabama a couple years ago. We had just left the hotel where we had stayed that morning. We were driving down the road and I was just kind of looking around it. Was, it was an area of like little strip malls and almost like going down route 30 up in Lancaster and and we were looking and I saw two stores and it made me start to laugh and I had to actually turn the car around and make sure I saw it right. Just outside of Montgomery, Alabama, there was an animal hospital and right next door to it, I mean in a connected building, was a taxidermy supply shop. (laughs) I had to turn around to make sure that I saw it right. Then I took a picture that just didn't turn out. I was so excited to show you that picture someday. That's what the work of men looks like. We have our ideas and we have our plans, and sometimes it just comes out so ridiculous and so absurd. You've seen it all too. Church, you've seen creation pointing to the glory of God, and you all have access to a Bible so that you can know how to live well, but you've seen the insanity of humanity too. You've seen how nature testifies to the glory of God. You've seen how humanity tries to testify to the glory of us. Which one is a more convincing argument? What are you going to do with all this? As I wrap up and as you get ready to go on about your day on a beautiful afternoon, what are you going to do with the witness of the skies, the heavens, the nature around you, the sun, the honey? Are you going to suppress the truth to serve your wickedness? Or like David, will you let God be your redeemer? Will you let God forgive you of all your sins and mistakes and rebellions? Will you receive Jesus as your savior? Will you follow the guidance of scripture? Will you accept the Holy Spirit who will strengthen you and make you able for all good things? Will you strive to have the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart be pleasing in God's sight? What are you going to do in response to the glory of God that we see all around us every day here in this beautiful part of the world. What will you do when you realize that nature is crying out consistently, silently, but universally about the glory of God? What will you do? First, I hope you'll pray with me. Can we pray together? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for this creation with which you've blessed us. Lord, I can't wait to see what your new heaven and new earth looks like someday. What will it be when all curses are lifted, when all sin is eradicated, when death is no more? Lord, even now we see your beauty in creation. We see your handiwork even when things are difficult with creation, even when the skies seem too smoky, Lord, we can see that there is something far greater than us at work. There is someone far greater than us at work. Lord, help us. Help us to be excellent witnesses for you. Help us to tell people our stories. Help us to tell folks what we see, what we hear, and what we know about you. But thank you, God, that it's not just up to us. Thank you that we can point to the mountains and we can point to the skies, we can point to the stars and to the sun and say, see, God did that too. Help us, Lord, to be courageous enough to talk like that. Help us to be wise enough to see the ways that you're moving. And help us to be compassionate enough, Lord, to reach out to those people who are so lost and so broken that all they can see is the mess that they've made. Lord, show us your way and help us to respond well. to the revelations you've given us. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Help us now to live well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.